I just learned a new acronym this week. Maybe it's not new to you, but it was to me. It's a concept I've heard about and I've known about. It's been around since the beginning of time. But the acronym is F-O-M-O, FOMO. It does not mean what it sounds like or rhymes with at all. But FOMO is simply the acronym or the concept of the fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. And it has been around since the beginning of people In fact, it contributed to the very first sin on the planet, uh, the sin of our oldest uh, relative. If you remember it, it's from Genesis chapter 3, the first book of the Bible. Um, The Bible says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did He really say that? And If you know that conversation, basically Satan goes on to say, come on, Eve, don't you understand? God is holding out on you. I mean, don't you want to enjoy all that is there? And of course, the thing that he was dangling in front of her was that piece of fruit that was all about the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, you know, you're not going to really die. God's lying to you about that. You are missing out. You need what he is holding out um, from you. See, the first sin was a belief that God was not a good God, that He was indeed holding out. For reasons that were not explained, but for some reason, God doesn't want all of, He doesn't want goodness for all of us. He doesn't want it in its entirety. Maybe He's good in this or that area, but He holds out on us. That was the first sin that has continued to be a temptation that has plagued mankind ever since. Now, for believers today who don't want to repeat that mistake, Let me tell you, the key is not to do what we often do, which is to say, okay, in my flesh and my own energy, okay, I'm really going to be committed this time. This time, I'm going to try extra hard, and I am not going to let that happen again. I'm not going down that road again. When we try in our own strength, by our own um, uh, effort and energy, we always fall short. I mean, every time we slide back when it's all about us and our own willpower or strength or whatever, the truth is... The breakthrough only comes, and here's the key to today, it only comes when you completely and wholeheartedly in every way believe that God is good and that He is for you, always, without exception. He is always on your side. He is always for you. He is always good. Now, a lot of you might go, yeah, that's me. I'm, okay, I'm good. I, I think I can leave and go home early today because I got that. Before you get so confident that you've got that nailed down, let's talk about it a little bit first. Because see, in short, basically, to believe that, to believe that God is always good and that He is always for you means to trust Him and to do do exactly what He says without reservation, without hesitation, because you just know, you just trust, you believe that God is always for you. And so anytime He asks you to jump, you say, how high? Absolutely, God, without hesitation. Whatever you ask, I'm all in. I'm there because I know you're good. Everything you say, everything you do is perfect. Are you really there? Are we all really there? Let let me show you a picture. I want to ask you, what do you see when you look at that? What is that? Some would say, yeah, maybe it's part of a cage, a prison. Uh, Maybe it's part of a fence. Maybe it's something else. 
you know, is metal shaped like this designed to keep you away or to keep you out, to hold you back, to restrict you? Or, or is it maybe designed to protect you? The answer is yes. It can be all the above, right? Any of those. But like, you know, bars like this could be used as a fence to keep you out, to hold you back. They could even be used as a cage to hold you down, to confine you, but they can also be used in a way that would protect you, to, to, to safeguard you. Now, in some cases, it's not really hard to see, I mean, assuming you're not a toddler, it's not hard to understand that bars can be there for your protection. You, you just instantly know that. Let me show you a picture. That's my family. Obviously, a few years ago, we were at the Grand Canyon enjoying that. I went up and made sure that bar was sturdy, but once I realized that, then I leaned on it and handed my phone to a stranger who took our picture and ran away with the camera. Not really. But anyway, thought he might. But anyway, um, we stood there and took the pictures, and, and we're happy with those. And I... I didn't even think for a moment that those bars were for any purpose except for our good. They were there to protect us. I knew that. That's obvious. Even my kids knew that. But in some cases, it's different. It might be easy, at least initially, when you see certain bars, when they come into your view, you, you know, come across them, that in some ways in our mind we get to a place of going, wait a minute, I don't know. Are those bars really necessary? Are those really good are they there to protect me or are they there to maybe hold me back, to, to hold out on me? And so we get frustrated. We even feel restricted and we even resent them sometimes. Let me show you two pictures. Which children are better off in this, in this collage? A child with unwanted and a restricting fence between him and what he wants to play with? How dare somebody put that there? Or are the children free of restriction and free of rules better off? You see, the same metallic bars, the same metal that we might imagine as a prison bar or a set of prison bars can also be imagined and often should be imagined as guardrails there to protect us, to guide us, to, to, to help us, to save our lives. Both can be made of the same metal. They can look exactly the same, but one is for one purpose, one is for another. One is there to restrict us, but the guardrail is there for our good. Not to hold out on us or to be mean to us, but it is there to save our life. And see, here's the deal. How you choose to see God's rules or His instructions or His law or whatever word you want to use, His, um, everything He gives us in His Scripture is so very important, foundational, in fact. God put these there for our benefit. God is for you. In every situation, in every moment, without ex exception, He is there for you and He is for your good. But it is up to us to trust or not in that truth. He is good, and it is so important that we do believe this, but so often while we say, yeah, I'm there, I believe that, the truth is, nah, maybe not as much as we think we do. God loves us so much that He lovingly gives us guidance and instructions, and we, we should think of them as wonderful blessings. Oh, dear God, thank you for that instruction. But we often tend to go, wait, why are you doing that? Why do I have to, how come it has to be that way? Why can't, and we question and resent and resist a lot of what He teaches but He gives us things that are there for our benefit, things about relationships, rules about sex, 
rules about money, about decision-making, about you name it, every context. There are things that we might initially in our flesh go, well, I don't want to be told that I have to do it that way. But God's not doing that to be mean or to hold out on us. It's for our benefit. You see, keeping within His boundaries is when we experience the very best of what He wants for us because we are the object of His affection. So the question becomes, why don't we naturally and without hesitation follow His teaching, His path? The answer is simple. It's simply that we don't truly, down in the depths of our heart, trust and believe that He is good. We think we do, but no, we don't. Oftentimes, no, we don't. A.W. Tozer, as I quoted last week in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, said that what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you think about when you think about God, when you picture Him, what comes to your mind? He also said that there's kind of a secret law of the soul that you and I tend to, to gravitate toward and move toward consciously and subconsciously toward our mental image of God. It affects how we do everything in life. And therefore, if God is not good, if He is not totally in every way good, if He's not always for you, if you don't believe in the goodness of God at the core of your being, then you will constantly struggle with commitment and faithfulness and obedience because His laws have become, in your mind, more like a cage or a prison bar as opposed to a guardrail. It's all about perspective. So you'll find yourself struggling with things like, okay, so I know God's good. I don't want to go to hell. Um, I, I, I want to go to heaven. And, and I, God's good in many respects. But, but because I'm pretty well convinced, whether you consciously think this or not, but because I'm fairly well convinced in my mind, at least subconsciously, that He's sometimes holding out on me, then therefore I will, I'm going to do this. God, I will trust you and follow you as much as I have to to get to heaven, but I also want to trust my own heart trust my gut, my instinct, whatever, and do what I want to do in many cases because I know, you know, not to be rude or anything, but you're kind of holding out on us, God. I know that's what you're doing. And so, I want to follow you, kind of, but part of the time I want to do my own thing because I know that's where real happiness is going to come from, doing my own thing. That's where I'm really going to find that, that I'm looking for. Oswald Chambers once said, the root of all sin is a suspicion that God is not good. It's a powerful thought, and I think he's right. You see, our fears, anxieties, relationship breakdowns, our sense about the future, at the root of virtually every problem we have, it all goes back to a distorted view of God, a, a failure to understand the real God. And this erroneous view or these views that we come up with give us a distorted view of ourselves, of other relationships, of the future, of what really matters in life. And so our significance and our security and our focus is, is all about chasing after the wind. And, and, and instead of trusting God, we go down our own path, do our own thing, instead of trusting and resting in Him and just following what He tells us. So today, as we continue to seek to understand the real God in this about seven-week series, I want to begin with the foundational concept that is so foundational. It is so important. That is that God is good. He is good. If God is not good, life makes no sense. Really, there's no reason for you to be here, for any of us. If God is not good, we're, what are we doing? Let's look at a story together. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 33. 
Exodus 33 and 34. If you have your Bible, you might find one in, in front of you or under the seat there. Turn to Exodus 33. It's the second book in the Bible, uh, the crash course version of it. It's called Exodus because of the Exodus that happened there. Um, if you, the short version is this. After the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you know, there's father and son and then another father and son, then Jacob has a bunch of children, including Joseph. Joseph uh, is the one who was thrown into prison by his jealous brothers because of the coat of many colors and, and some of his things that he said and bragged a little bit about and that kind of thing. And, and Joseph's life makes no sense for over 20 years. I, if I counted it up right, it looked about, like about 22 years from the point he was sold into slavery as a 17-year-old until it came to make sense that God helped him see that, hey, all that you've been going through for a couple of decades now is for good reasons. Good things are happening. And here's what it is. It's to protect all and to save from a famine all of the people of, of your family. So Jacob, his dad, who's still alive and old at this point, comes and brings roughly 60 or 70 people and because uh, Joseph has interpreted Pharaoh's dream and pleased Pharaoh, Pharaoh puts him in charge, takes him out of prison, puts him second in charge, only to Fa- second only to Pharaoh, and and uh, they store up for seven good years of of plenty so that they can handle the seven years of famine that are to come. And during all of that, Jacob and his and his other and Joseph's brothers all come begging, groveling, not knowing who it is. And it's an amazing, beautiful story. And at one point. Jacob, or I mean, uh, Joseph says to his brothers who are like, oh man, Joseph's really going to get us because, you know, he's mad at us. And Joseph says, you know, no, what you intended for harm, God used for good. And, and uh, you know, and so they all come to as a family uh, under the protection of the Pharaoh and, and the land of Egypt. And so it's wonderful. Everybody's great. Everything's happy and hunky-dory and they begin to multiply and they go from 60 or 70 people to roughly somewhere around maybe 2 million or so. We don't know, but a huge number. And during that time, Joseph naturally passes away. The people of Egypt forget about who, who's Joseph. I don't remember that guy, really. And you know what? These people, these Israelites, they're getting really numerous. They're going to overtake us. We better enslave them instead of being peaceful with them. And so the Israelite people, God's people, are placed into slavery by the Egyptians, and it becomes a horrendous situation. And eventually, 400 years of that goes by, and God says, okay, enough's enough. It is time. I'm ready to take my people and lead them to the promised land. So he calls Moses, who had been raised by Pharaoh's daughter and, and been found in the, in, the, in the basket in the water. And, and Moses comes and says, God, I can't do that. God says, yes, you can. Um, tells him at the burning bush. And Moses says, I'm not able. I don't speak well enough or eloquently enough and all that. And God says, you, you'll be fine. I'll send Moses, or I mean your brother Aaron, to go with you. So Moses goes on behalf of God, and he tells the people... Um, it's time. And, and he tells Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. No, yes, no, yes. And they go back and forth. And there are 10 plagues that God sends in a miraculous fashion, incredible miracles that God does to soften or to break this hard-hearted man of Pharaoh, his will, and to convince him to let the people go, including the beginning of the Passover with the, with the death of the firstborn of everybody in the land that did not have the blood of the lamb over their doorpost. And then after that, there is the parting of the Red Sea as the people are, are allowed to go. And Pharaoh changes, what have I done? I need those people. And he chases after them and he gets his people, his soldiers into the, into the sea with the water like this and God allows it to cascade down on them and, and all this and they die. And all these things happen and all of God's people are watching this. Moses is watching that and Moses develops this intimate relationship with God. In fact, Psalm 103 verse 7 gives us a little insight. says, God made 
known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. There's a difference, though, between deeds and ways. You see, all of Israel saw God's miraculous acts, his deeds, as well, right? They saw his incredible power, the deliverance that he did, the miraculous things that he accomplished. And yet, a little trivia question, how many of those roughly two million people made it into the promised land? Do you know? How many? Anybody? Two! Two out of two million or so. Uh, Just Joshua and Caleb. You see, God's acts do not sustain us. His ways sustain us. Perhaps you've had an encounter with a big challenge in your life at some point. Maybe you prayed really hard and God intervened in, in a supernatural way, which is evidence of His goodness and kindness to you. But if you're like most, you go, wow, thank you, Lord. That was awesome. I trust in you. I believe in you now. Oh, never will I ever doubt you again. But a month, maybe two months, whatever, some time goes by and stuff hits the fan again, and you're like, oh, I, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with this XYZ situation. You go, God, I need you. And, and unless he comes through and does what you lay out that needs to be done and say, Lord, here's what needs to happen, and it needs to be done this way, unless he does that, you're like, well, yeah, well God, I'm starting to question, are you really good? I mean, what have you done for me lately? And we start to go down that path of questioning him because, you see, God's acts don't sustain us. His ways do. There's a difference. Moses, who walked as humbly with the Lord as any human ever, according to God's Word, and who had as close and intimate a relationship with God as anyone who had ever lived before him, other than, I guess, Adam and Eve before the fall, before sin came into the world, Moses makes, at one point, an outrageous request that that I think actually thrilled God's heart. Here it is in Exodus 33, verse 18. Moses asked God, please show me your glory. Kind of a crazy request because just two verses later, verse 20, God makes it clear that man cannot, and we talked about this last week, there's such a difference between Almighty God and us. I mean, it's just beyond words to describe how different He is, His holiness, His bigness, His perfection compared to us. Anyway, God says to Moses, and makes clear to all of us, God, man cannot see God and live. And yet, because God loves a seeking heart, and He knew Moses' motive in his heart, He allows Moses to get a glimpse of him, basically to just see his backside as he goes by. He tells, us, tells it like this in verse 19, he says to Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Now, look at that closely. What does that say and what does it not say? I love that. It's so important. He does not say, I will cause all my holiness to pass in front of you, or all of my power, or all of my majesty, or a lot of other options. I will allow all of my goodness to pass in front of you, because that's what Moses needed to understand. He needed to trust. But you and I need to trust and see as well that God is in every situation, without exception, without any variation or failure, always good. So God let Moses see his goodness. All my goodness, he said. I love that God does not bless us begrudgingly. There's an eagerness in God's desire to pour out his blessings on his children, on you and I. God doesn't wait for us to come to him either. He seeks us out because it is His great joy to do us good. Scripture teaches this in numerous places. Most of you have heard and are probably familiar with the famous Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, right? 
Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 6, most of us know it. it, it goes like this, right? Say it with me, surely goodness and mercy shall what? Follow me all the days of my life. That's what most translations say. As I studied it this week, actually, if I understand correctly, the really more literal uh, use, and some translations do it what I would call the right way, they actually translate it, the word instead of follow, they translate it pursue. Because that original Hebrew word is actually in the Old Testament roughly about um, uh, 95 times, and about 80 of those times it is translated pursue, not follow. Both, you know, can be beautiful, but if you think it through, it is really incredible to know that God doesn't just follow us, He actually pursues us with His goodness and His mercy. That's an awesome thought. I love the fact that God's grace, which is what we are saved by, quite simply, as Billy Graham put it, God's, he says, God's grace, quite simply, is God's mercy and goodness toward us. And wow, I love that. God pursues me with goodness and mercy. We see it over and over in Scripture. I and you, we experience His goodness every single day. You know, every time we wake up to the gift of a new dawn, whether it be to sunshine or snow showers like it might be tomorrow, it is a blessing from the goodness of God's heart, from His beautiful hand of goodness, whether it be the work we get to do or the good food we get to eat, intimacy and friendship that we share with family and friends, laughter, it's so good to laugh, you know, music, mountains, you know, raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Come on, if you know it, sing it with me. Bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens. Come on, brown paper packages tied up with strings. Come on, say it with me. These are a few what? Favorite things. Yeah, I mean, there, all kinds of lists can be written. Songs can be sung. It can go on and on and on about all the goodness of God. The brother of Jesus, James, God used him to tell us that all good and perfect gifts, everything that is good and perfect comes down from the Father above the, of heavenly lights. God is not hesitant. He is not indecisive in His desire to do good for you and me. He is so proactive and eager to share His goodness with us. I love the way John Piper talks about it. How many of you own a gun? I know we got a lot. I, I, I pray for the bad guy who ever walks in this building and tries to do something bad. Those of us who don't have guns better hit the floor quickly because it, it could be a dangerous place. But anyway, all right, what I'm saying is this. John Piper referencing guns and triggers says this, and I love it. He says, if God is angry, which sometimes He is, Scripture makes that clear, if God is angry, that anger is released by a stiff safety lock, but His mercy that has a hair trigger. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That's a great way to look at that. God is so ready to shower His mercy when we come to Him in humble, open-handed spiritual poverty. Say, oh Lord God, I don't bring anything of merit to this equation. It's not about me, it's about you. And I trust you implicitly with everything I've got. I trust you. Even when God knew back on Mount Sinai that His people, as He was, as God was conversing with Moses and the old Ten Commandments thing was unfolding and all that, and God, even in that moment, He knew what the people were doing. They were down there going, whoa, what happened? Where's Moses at? What's He doing? Well, he's never coming back. I don't know what's going to happen. So what, what should we do? Well, 
well, maybe we should worship and honor the Lord and be patient. No, that didn't seem to come to their mind. What they thought is, let's melt down all the gold that we have and build a golden calf and worship it and get drunk. How about that? Maybe that'll be the thing that God will be pleased with. So they go down that road. But even while God knew that, He knew what they were thinking, He knew what they were doing, and yet He said to Moses up on top of the mountain, He said about Himself, Yahweh the Lord, I, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger. I know what they're doing. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Now that passage goes on to say, but God says, but I do not excuse the guilty. And as we'll discuss more in the weeks to come, including next week when we talk about sovereignty, God in His sovereignty perfectly balances grace and justice. And we'll get into that as well. But, but God's delight for His people and His desire is to be good to them, to you and me, to those people, and to you and I as well. It is all over the whole Bible, the map of His, of His holy word for us. Galatians does say that, now don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked, mocked and man does reap what he, sow, what he sows, but over and over God's Word makes it so clear that He wants to bless us and bring goodness our way. Deuteronomy 30 verse 9 says, the Lord will again take delight, take delight in prospering you. He loves to do so. I love that about our God. He's never irritable. He's never edgy. He never has a short fuse. Can anybody else say any of that? No, only God. Instead, He is energetic with unbounded and unending enthusiasm. And you and I, we are of His greatest delights. We are at the top of the totem pole, if you will. We are the epitome of His creation. We are, Scripture says, the cherished bride of Jesus, the bride of Christ, God's one and only Son that He sent to this world. That is how much He loves us. Now, it's hard for us to take in and comprehend all this, but it is so foundational. We have a hard time making it through just a day. I mean, just coping is hard, let alone thriving. Our emotions tend to go up and down. We get bored one day and hopeful the next. We get discouraged one moment and excited the next. But another quote I love from John Piper goes like this. He said, we are like, we're like little geysers that gurgle and sputter and pop erratically. What he's talking about is, how, how many of you have been to, to Yellowstone, seen, seen the geysers and things that he's talking about there that sputter and pop erratically? We're like that in that we are unpredictable and w- we can be dangerous. We look safe, like somebody walk up and say, hey, I want to talk to you. And all of a sudden, up some, comes some bubbling, nasty stuff and we boil the people in front of us, you know. That's us. We're unpredictable. We're not safe in that respect, but not God. He's not like that. He's like old faithful in that same national park. I mean, he's so perfectly dependable, like clockwork. But more than just Old Faithful, a better word picture or analogy would be that he's more like Niagara Falls, you know, another part of our country where he's steadily, constantly pouring out more goodness than we can even really comprehend. You know, Niagara Falls pours out 186,000 pounds, wait a minute, did I say that right? 186,000 tons of water every minute. That's a big number. I mean, I can't really grasp that, but 186,000 tons of water every minute. And we might stand there and look at that and go, wow, that's amazing. That, that obviously got to end in a little bit. I mean, there's only so much water to go around. That can't continue. And yet it does. It just continues. And God is that way times a billion, trillion, whatever number you want. 
That's the way he is. He, he ne- Isaiah tells us he never grows tired or weary. Never does he get tired of doing good for us, showing us his mercy and his goodness in 186,000 tons of goodness every single minute in our lives. I mean, that's our God. To him, showing us his delight never gets boring. He, he is heaven-bent on doing us good. And the Niagara Falls of his grace has no end. And wow, that's something to be thankful for. Is anybody else thankful for God's goodness? We should be so, so thankful for his goodness. And I think we are, but we often go, yeah, that's awesome, but what have you done for me lately? That's really cool, but do I really trust? I don't like to even think about it, but do I really trust that you're going to be that way, Lord, all the time? Or do maybe you sometimes hold out on me? What's the world tell us? Tells us the same thing Satan told Eve. You know, that let me, here's the list you really need for, to be happy, to, to find joy and happiness and all the good things in life. Here's the list you need to, to have instead of what God tells you. But God says, no, 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 no. Follow me. Worship me. I have made you. I love you more than you can begin to even comprehend and if you will worship me, it will not only bring delight and honor to me, but it will bring, as a byproduct of your worship, you will have more joy and even happiness than you can even grasp if you'll just trust me and follow me. That's how much God thinks of us. That's how He, as a good God, longs to see us. As we sing about, He is a good, good Father. Here's what's behind the power of the temptation, though. It's the belief that God isn't really for you, at least not all the time, at least not in every situation. It's the lie that real success and real fulfillment, you know, the things that you're really wanting and looking for and needing, you might think, in life, that there's somewhere else out there that, that God's kind of holding out on you, and you need to take the bull by the horns and Figure it out on your own in certain situations, at least. Maybe not all the time. You can trust God a lot of the time, but some of the time you've got to do it your way because he's, he's holding out on you. But that's why God led John, the apostle of love, to write this in 1 John 2. He said, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. As you choose to walk upright on God's path, here's what you can stand on, or you can believe and stand on. It would be to say something like this, as a confession, as a declaration to God to say, Lord, I have no more fear of missing out because I trust on this path that you are indeed a good, good Father and that your ways are perfect. Everything about your teaching, your laws, your instruction, everything about you is perfect. And so when you ask anything of me, I'm there. I'm all there. I'm not going to go, wait a minute, let me think about that. That doesn't match with what I think or what I know or what she or he told me or what the, whatever. We don't do that. But it can become a statement of faith. It can be a promise to claim. And it can and will change your life if you will develop and trust 
and move to this perspective and stay there, live there. If you actually come to believe that from your head down to your heart, down to your toes, every part of you, then obedience will be completely different. Trusting Him becomes completely different. The fear of failure, which, okay, we all have some of that, but the fear of failure will begin to dissipate. Because if God has your best in mind, then you learn to trust that He is sovereign in all ways. And as an all-wise God, He is leaning forward. You trust that He is leaning forward on His throne to bless your life, looking for more ways. What can I do to bless them now? What can I do to help them, to guide them, to lead them down a more beautiful path? Now, that doesn't mean you won't have some fear along the way. It doesn't mean that life might not sometimes even get hard, right? Most of us have experienced some pretty rough stuff in life. But what it does mean is that you can trust His promises because the real God is at His core a good God. And so when He says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. When we hear that and read that, we don't hesitate to accept it and trust it. And we go, okay. Now, that doesn't mean we fully understand how that's going to play out or what that looks like in every situation. Sometimes, like Joseph, took 22 years for his plight, his slavery to make any sense. And maybe it'll take that or even more time for your situation to make sense. Maybe. But we trust that at His core, He is totally consistently and perfectly good. A couple of quotes for you as we close. Will you stand with me? Let me just read you a couple of quotes as we close, and we're going to sing about His goodness. Johnny Erickson taught, I wish I had time to tell her story. I don't, but in short, her, her story is this. She was a happy, normal American teenager, and she made a mistake, dove into some water that she thought was deeper than it really was, and she became a quadriplegic for life. And, and she became later, after dealing with a lot of struggle and, and different things that she went through, doubts and all that, she became one of God's greatest spokespeople for decades. And she once said, someday, listen, this is a quadriplegic talking. She said, someday we will stand amazed to see the top side of the tapestry and how God beautifully embroidered each circumstance. Again, she saying that without the use of arms and legs each circumstance into a pattern for our good and His glory. I like how Helen Keller, who was blind and deaf because of an illness early in her life, she once said, I can see, and that is why I can be happy in what you, talking to all of us who can see, that's why I can be happy in what you call the dark, but which to me is golden. I can see a God-made world, not a man-made world. That's Helen Keller talking. I like how Charles Spurgeon said it. He said, God is too good to be unkind, and He is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace His hand, we must trust His heart. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord God, as we sing about Your goodness, would You help us to recognize that in those moments, like Mr. Spurgeon said, we can't always trace Your hand but we can always trust your heart. Lord God, would you help us as, oh, I don't know how to even describe us, but as flawed people who tend to, like Scripture talks about, as a 
dog returns to his vomit, so a fool to his folly. Lord, that's me. That's all of us. We tend to go, yeah, okay, but just like Eve and every human being since, we tend to go, yeah, I don't know, though. And we trust our heart, our gut, our instinct more than we trust you. And Lord God, we beg you to forgive us of that and then guide us to a place of deeper trust, of faithfulness and consistency of saying, God, you are good. You are good. I know it. I know it. I believe it. I trust it. And I'm going to stand on that. And as we sing it right here, right now, Lord, would you help us to be more committed, more faithful to you, not in our own power, in our own strength, but in your spirit. Would you guide us, fill us with your spirit, touch us on the shoulder, tap us on the, on the back, whatever it takes. But Lord, fill us and help us to see your truth, your goodness. And if anybody needs to make a decision for you, Lord, would you guide us to do so today, right here, right now? To stand forward, to take a step, to, to put our full, our full trust in everything we have in you. But Lord, you are good. We thank you for that, and we want to honor you and sing about it and worship you and follow you if you lead us to make a decision. But Lord God, thank you for who you are. We pray in the name of Jesus, our good, good Savior. Thank you for being a good, good Father. And Lord, we say it all together in his name. Amen, amen. Let's sing. Amazing.